Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel. I have my man, Josh Merwin, with me. Josh, how you doing today, man? Good. How are you doing? Having a good Friday. It's a beautiful day to be alive. It's a great Friday. We got nice weather. I'm in my Space Jam t-shirt. I mean, does it get any better than this? I don't think so. I don't think so. Nice. It's a glorious, glorious day. Thank you. Yes, I got this. Shout out my cousin, Justin. Uh, it's one of my favorite shirts. And we were actually just talking about Michael Jordan. So we might, we're, we're going we're gonna to circle back to that conversation in a second too. But Yeah, and they're coming out Space Jam too soon. So yes. next year. Ooh, are so. you filming it by any chance? Wait, no, don't tell us. Don't tell us. I have, I have too much stuff, too much stuff. But Josh is a sports photographer and film maker does some really interesting stuff excited to talk about your career your career arc what you've done bringing people together and 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 everything around film um and and pictures i guess it's all film right i really don't know how yeah. it works you're this is going to be a master class in sports photography and filmmaking i hope you're excited for that josh but the first question i have for everybody on the for the love of sports podcast is why do you love sports so much um yeah i mean i think for me, sports has always been something that, you know, you brought families together. Um, I mean, for me, um, it was, you know, my dad's love of sports. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> kind of funny. Um, one of the earliest memories I have is playing t-ball and, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's probably three or four or whatever. And, you know, and the biggest thing the parents are worried about is like the kid making contact with the ball. Um, so made contact with the ball and went into the outfield. Um, everybody was yelling. I was, they were really excited. Um, and I was really excited. I started running, ran, made it to the base and they called me out. And I was like, I don't understand what, what's going on. And my dad, my dad was, was yelling, you know, no, 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 no. Well, I ran to third base instead of first base. So nobody told me that when you hit the ball, you have to run to first base. So I just went to third base. Um, so yeah, that was it's kind of my first introduction into sports. That is um, fantastic. I love that. Yeah. And so, yeah, guess- you know, what what led you you know that that's a that's a funny story it's kind of cute we all have one of those right uh but i guess where where along the line like where along the lines did like how how did that love of sports continue to grow to the point where you know now it's your career yeah i mean I, when i was young i think like eight or ten i was playing basketball with my dad at my grandparents house um and i was not a very good basketball player um and i was sh- shooting the ball and it, it would hit the backboard or hit the garage and bounce and then go over the fence and they had this kind of ditch behind their house. So we did that two or three times. And the third time I went with him to go look for it and I found a $20 bill on the ground. Um, and they were like, Oh, well, you know, you found this, you know, you get to keep it. Um, we realized later that he probably had a hole in his pocket and then probably thought it was pocket. Um, you know, so they're like, you can buy whatever you want. So we went to the toy store, you know, that time, you know, $20 was a lot of money. Um, you know, spent like 30 minutes or 45 minutes there. I couldn't find the perfect thing. I was with at target with my mom. Um, and we were just walking down the aisle and I saw a Polaroid camera and I was like, well, this is really cool. You know, I was like, can I, you know, can I get this? It was 1999. She said, sure. You know, and then of course you have to buy the film. Um, but you know, obviously they did that for me. Um, and you know, I just started taking pictures and, you know, I think my dad had a subscription to sports illustrated. So I grew up reading that magazine and, you know, mainly looking at the pictures um, and one of a career goal from, you know, certainly by the time I was in high school was to shoot for sports illustrated. Um, and I think that's really kind of where it started. Uh, my mom also, my mom also did photography and art. So it kind of was, you know, a perfect marriage between something my dad loved and, and that my mom loved. Yeah. That is like the perfect 
combination. So shout out to your parents. Shout out to your mom for for buying the film too. My mom yeah. said, no, you have to go find another $20 bill. Uh, <laughs> no, I kid, of course. But no, that, that is, I mean, it's funny how that works, right? Like it, there's so many like weird little things. You probably would have ran into it at some point, of course, especially with your mom yeah. being a photographer, right? But it's just interesting that specific story right. and how it kind of catapulted and propelled you to where you are today. I know it's, it's, it's a little far-fetched to say that was, you know, you're, you're, you're jumping off point, but it, in a way it really was, which I think is kind of cool. And the ability to now capture these stories and, and help tell these stories through film, I think is the most important part. And that's pretty awesome, man. Do you remember, you know, the first things you were taking pictures of, was it just, you know, pictures of your family? I, I think or, it was or... friends at like, um, at the, the park by our school. I remember there was like, you know, one of those old tire swing things. I remember having pictures from that. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was probably just family stuff and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, probably animals and bugs outside and, you know, <laughs> normal kid stuff. I mean, it, it's interesting. We have three-year-old twins um, and I've got um, on the shelf, there's an old camera there and my son wanted to play with it. So he was playing with it and he can like barely, barely crank it just far enough, um, you know, so he needs help. But he was, you know, there's no film in it, but he was just, you know, playing around with it. So, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll be a photographer if, if that's even a thing in, you know, 18 years when he was an adult because you know probably everybody's gonna be using their phones yeah i mean phones are uh getting a little bit better let's say year by year um i mean when was the last time you bought a disposable camera unless you're at like a wedding or something right those yeah i mean i I look for their birthday was was two days ago and i was looking online for like you know a polaroid camera and it was there was you know another like a hundred dollars so i found him like a little mini digital one that was you know a lot cheaper but it didn't have a viewfinder so he's like you know, you can see that on the big screen, like our phone size, he can see what he's shooting, but he still puts it all the way up to his eyes. So we can't really see what, what he's shooting. So I, I got to look and find a better option for him. That's pretty cute. Happy birthday to your twins. That's pretty fantastic. Thanks. And so one thing that's always interesting to me, again, you photographer and filmmaker is, is kind of that conversation between pictures and between video, right? You know, I, I, I always, I don't remember where I heard the quote, but you know, if, if a picture is worth a thousand words, what is 24 what does 24 frames a second say? And so it's always very interesting to me to hear people, especially someone like yourself, who obviously dabbles in a little bit of both, more so I think on the filmmaking side now, but obviously taking a lot of time with with um, pictures as well. And it's always it's always a really cool conversation because, right, a picture, you know, as we said, it's a thousand words, but you yeah. as the viewer, you kind of interpret it the way you want. When it comes to filmmaking, it's, it's the filmmaker who is telling that story a little bit more explicitly, right? So I guess like from your, your point of view, what is, how do you kind of have that conversation internally or externally with your, your family members, your friends, your coworkers? And, and what do you, why do you think these are such great mediums to tell stories, especially for sports? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I'll start with the still photography side because that's kind of, that was my background. I went to University of Colorado Boulder, did a double major in journalism and film. Um, they didn't have a, uh, a photography track. So there was one photography teacher who taught three classes over, you know, the course of, of the four years. Um, but he was great. I mean, he's, you know, some of the students that he had have won Pulitzer, has gone on to one, you know, various awards. Um, and, you know, it, but it came from a strict, you know, journalism background. So it was like, you know, don't set anything up. Don't ask somebody to do something they're not doing. You know, I mean, that was, you know, drilled into me from the beginning. Um, you know, and, and while films, well, photos are kind of still photos are like what's going on in the moment, you know, the photographer, even if you're trying to be completely objective, like you're still telling it through your eyes. Um, you know, so I, I always 
you know, was trained to have a responsibility for the truth. And, you know, photographers are people that are, that are showing the truth through, through pictures. Um, you know, with video, if you're doing it in a journalistic way and just like, for instance, with the riots going on now, you know, I mean, the video is the video, like, you know, people can try and twist it one way or another, but if you like have the raw video, that, that's all you're, you're seeing. Um, I mean, and I guess, you know, going back to still photography, that was always a big thing. You, you would every once in a while, some of you get in trouble because they photoshopped a ball into the photo. Cause basically you're told all sports photos, the ball isn't in there. It's not worth anything. Um, you know, so some people had like photoshopped like a ball in there, like a hockey puck cause they didn't see it in the, in the original shot, but it was in there and then they've, you know, gotten caught. So it was always like, you know, stay away from that completely. Um, and yeah. And then, you know, film when you're really doing it like a documentary uh, you know there's several different ways to do it um but you know you have a responsibility to tell the truth but i mean you're really crafting the story you know it didn't until i started doing it it didn't really make sense on you know why you have a documentary where it's like written by so and so because usually it usually ends up being the director and it you know it's like it's not my story it's it's the way i'm telling the story so you know um yeah, it's, it's just kind of an interesting process and different way of thinking. Um, and you get a little more leeway with, you know, well, it, you know, keeping it, you know, quote unquote, journalistic, you know, and from my, my perspective, keeping it true to true to what's going on, um, you know, and not it's, it's always a little frustrating from my perspective when you're when you see these films, even if it's the narrative film, and like, you know, based on a true story, but they change something to make it way more dramatic than they needed to. And it's like, you didn't need to do that. Like the story was already good enough. You don't have to go over over the top with it. Um, I think, and that was the most difficult thing to kind of navigate when I was editing my film was like, okay, you know, what are we allowed to do in the editing process? You know, we want to make sure it's a truthful story. We also, you know, um, my film on, on Carson Kiner, I mean, I was with him for, you know, five and a half years initially, basically. I mean, I was with him for, you know, months at a time. And, you know, there, there was certainly some stuff that, that we shot that I didn't show because it wasn't necessary in telling the story. Um, and, you know, the subject has to have complete trust with you that you're going to tell the story in the right way because, you know, somebody can manipulate footage, you know, the way it's edited by putting it next to a certain shot to make it look differently. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it's just big responsibility to kind of be authentic in the story that you're telling. Yeah. And so so let's talk about that. Carson Kinder, um, you start telling... You, you like, I guess, talk to me a little bit about how to. Yeah, how I'll tell you this, the background, and because yeah, it's actually the, come up. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I, well, I guess I'll do my career first, and then I'll lead into that. Um. Okay. So I, uh, when I was at Colorado, my, it was in 2000, so I guess it was like my junior year. Um, I got the opportunity to go to the Sydney Olympics, um, and be a volunteer photo assistant. Um, and so I was in Sydney for a month. I was in, I believe it was in like November. Um. And I told my professors I was I was going to go to Sydney. I was going to be gone. You know, this is a great opportunity. Um, I had I was had some friends from skiing in Vail, and one of them was Australian. And her mom had a had a house in Sydney, so they let, she let me stay with her for free. Um, you know, and all the professors were okay with it, except for one, which was the, the film professor in the film department. When um, they're like, they make you take film history one before film history two because it goes to silent film first, and then and the film with dialogue um and they were just like you just can't do it so <laughs> so finally the teacher got fed up enough with the department and said you know what screw them here's what you're gonna do you're gonna take my class you're gonna go to sydney you're gonna come back i'll give you a different test 
And then you'll just watch all the films and, and make it up. You can do film history one now and, you know, film two next semester. Cause I would have had to stay in school for a whole nother year otherwise. Yeah. Um, so that's what we did. And I, you know, I got really lucky. The baseball stadium was um, a great venue because it was not super crowded. And the second day I was there, I met um, an Oakley rep that was trying to talk to all the players. And so I let him come into the photo dugout. Um, and I knew some skiing reps from, from skiing Colorado. And he told me that they had a house on Bondi beach for all their athletes and to stop by whenever I wanted. Um, so I did, I basically went over there, you know, every night after I was done working, um, you know, they had a few parties. So it was like partying with like Gustavo Quartin, um, and a bunch of other athletes. Um, but I also met the key thing I did was I met, uh, John Beaver, a sports illustrator photographer. Um, so I, I helped him out with changing the film in his remote camera and kept in touch with him when I got back to the States. And then assisted him for about a year and a half at all the major events, um, Super Bowl, um, World Series, National Championship game, um, and then culminating in the being his assistant at the 2002 Salt Lake Olympics. Um, so it was a great experience and really kind of got my foot into the door for still photography and um, helped me get my first assignment for Sports Illustrated. Um, and then really helped me have the portfolio and the experience to kind of cold call ESPN magazine and work my way in there. Um, you know, I shot for them freelance, you know, a lot for about a year, year and a half. And then, um, it was right when wire image and Getty images were, were getting big, which kind of decimated the sports photography market as well as I'm sure a few others. Um, yeah. And then, um, went back to Houston, did an internship at the Houston Chronicle Chronicle to kind of round out my, my skill set. Um, and the agreement that I was not going to shoot sports while I was there, um, so, uh, which was fine for the internship. And then for some reason it, it kind of carried on in the contract position, which, you know, I probably should have said something, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it was fine. I, I learned a lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then I was, so with, with Carson's story, I was really looking for a story on a sports figure or athlete that, um, that was off the field. And I saw a blurb on ESPN.com that UT baseball player needs a kidney transplant. And, you know, I knew if I'd reach out to university of Texas, media relations, they would have said no without even talking to him. Um, so I, you know, I was trying to figure out a way to get in touch with him because we were both from Texas. He was from outside Houston. Um, and then we went to uh, a dinner with a bunch of people with my, my wife and I met this guy, Mark Franklin. And, you know, I was like, hey, you know, Hey, how are you doing? What do you do? And he goes, I do stats for the UT baseball team. <laughs> I like bear hugged him. And I was like, Hey, do you know this guy, Carson Kiner? I really want to meet him. Um, and he was like, yeah, he's one of my best friends. So he introduced me like, three days later and I went to lunch with Carson a week later and it, it was just supposed to be a photo essay. So I was just going to do a photo essay, kind of stay with them before the surgery. Um, and so the, basically what happened is he was on the 2005 team that won the college world series, got drafted by the Reds in 2006 and he was about to sign. His doctor said, don't sign yet to have a kidney transplant. Um, you know, so he's obviously a little upset because he's, you know, his childhood dream was, was being taken away from him. Um, his dad was a kidney, the kidney donor. Um, his dad played pro ball when he was younger. Um, you know, so by doing this, Carson's dad, you know, obviously extended his son's life and then eventually was hoping to have him pursue his dreams. Um, so he had the surgery, everything went well. Um, he had a press conference like three weeks after surgery saying, Hey, you know, I'm going back to Texas for my senior season. I, you know, missed the opportunity with the Reds. Um, the Reds ended up calling him like a week or two later and said, Hey, we still want to sign you. Um, so he ended up signing with the Reds um, about a month and a half after his surgery um, and then kind of, you know, had to get healthy and then went to spring training. Um, and, you know, I was basically, I was literally right there along with him the whole way, drove up to spring training with him 
um, was in the locker room since it was a minor league locker room. It wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. wasn't a big deal. They, they gave me all access um, just because it was me doing everything. There was no crew. It was just me with a camera. I had two cameras. I had a still camera and a video camera. So like right around, you know, I guess I had to backtrack a little bit, but when I started the project with him, it was just supposed to be still photos. And after about two weeks, I was like, there's kind of more to the story here. Like, I feel like this could be a film. Um, so I was shooting with two cameras. I mean, I had the video camera on a tripod to, to begin with and then shooting with still camera. And then at one point they were both around my neck and I would, <laughs> you know, juggle both of them. Um, and you know, so, but I, so I just, yeah. with that, I mean, just out of curiosity, like what's it like to speak to this young man and say, Hey, I know you're going through some stuff, but I would love to document what you're going through. Um, I th- obviously the story is incredible as you very quickly found out, but like, what, what's that question like? I mean, what that lunch that you had with him when, and when talking to him about this potential project, was there any pause for concern on his side? Was there any kind of pushback? Like, Hey, maybe I don't want to do that. Uh, there, you know, there really wasn't. Um, I think it helped that I got a recommendation through one of his friends. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm an honest person. I'm super nice. Sometimes I'm too nice and, you know, you get taken advantage of in some ways, but, I, but, you know, I just come off as trusting and um you know because i am and yeah i mean i found out like i think a couple months after we um we were working on the project that he had i think when he was a freshman when he was younger he got interviewed by like the student newspaper and and they like twisted a quote to kind of i forget what it was exactly but but something to the effect of you know basically like i think freshman baseball players are, are better than the senior players or something to that effect and, you know, it really kind of, you know, it didn't become obviously a huge deal, but just in his little world, it became, became a big deal. Um, you know, so I, I was surprised that he kind of was as open as he was to give me the access that, that his family did just based off of that without really knowing me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, we became friends and, you know, it was, I mean, he played in four and a half for four and a half years in the minor leagues. So I went, you know, I took several trips a year. Um, I drove with him back and forth a couple of times, um, you know, and just kind of built, built that trust level as time went on, um, you know, became close with his family also, um, you know, and then when he got released after four and a half years, I had all this great footage, but I'm like, I want to, I have no end of the film. Like I wanted it to be a positive story that can, you know, really make a push for social justice. And I think that, you know, film is a great way to, um, produce awareness for for social issues um you know and, and athletes have kind of um always um been the people that have that have pushed social issues through their activism um so yeah you know we um you know so i just stayed in contact with them and you know he got married and, and they got pregnant pretty soon after he stopped playing baseball um and then you know just kept in touch with them and about i think it was three or three and a half years after he stopped playing. Um, his son was about three and a half or four years old. Um, when we were in Austin, I went down there for the UT alumni baseball game. And I mean, really just to kind of interview a few guys and really just hang out and have some fun. Um, and we played golf on Friday. Um, I landed at like six 30 in the morning. So, we, you know, I just rode around the cart with them. And then the game was actually getting rained out on Saturday. And then Friday night, he was like, Hey, how do you feel about driving back to Houston tonight? Because my son's playing in his first baseball game. And I was like, sure, let's, you know, let's, let's do it. Luckily I had all my stuff with me. Um, you know, so I got up early in the morning and, you know, I, I shot Carson getting his son ready for, for his game, you know, laying out the uniform, getting him dressed, 
um you know he was all dressed and he's like you know he's like his son's name is Caden he's like Caden where's my kiss and you know kisses him on the lips you know three-year-old boy and um you know I was just like whoa like this is not only is you know and then we went to the game and and um, you know, it's mm-hmm. what nothing's cuter than a bunch of kids not knowing what they're doing, you know, all running to a ball and like, running, you know, running yeah, to third like, base, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, or running <laughs> to third base. Um, yeah, you know, and it was cool because Carson's coaching his son. I mean, Carson's dad is there cheering them on, and it's like, you know, really the story is about life and love and sacrifice and what you do for your child, you know. And, and at that point, his dad was just saying, okay, let me like keep him alive continue and save his life and let him chase his dream like his dad wasn't thinking five years down the road he would have a grandson because mm-hmm. of his gift you know um yeah so it was um you know and, and there's a whole generational shift too because um his dad's great super nice um but like he's from an older generation where you know they don't like hug and kiss they kind of shake hands or kind of hug a little bit um so it was very interesting to see like um the uh, oh god i can't think of the word generational comparing, sorry comparing and contrasting yeah the generational yeah i mean just the generational shift you know mm-hmm. throughout this film because you know a film like boyhood where they, they kind of had the same actors and they went back and shot it over i think it was a 12 or 15 year period whatever it was i mean you you basically have carson growing up throughout the film um you know so it, it's you know that was one thing that was that was very interesting and the other thing that, that really stuck with me um is that, you know, when he got released, um, you don't want to think about it, but like, it's the first time he's ever been told he wasn't good enough, mm-hmm. you know? And what does that do to player psyches? I mean, that you know, that's got to be a huge blow, not just for him, but you think about, especially players that, you know, I think that's why players want to want to extend their career in the pros. You know, sometimes they do it. People say they do it too long because this is all they've known. Like, they've always been good at this and they've always stood out and that's kind of how they built their identity. Um so it's, you know, it's just a it's interesting kind of um, experience to kind of watch mm-hmm. and, and kind of step back and kind of from an overview, you kind of understand what's going on. Especially over such a long period of time, I think it's really interesting for you to be a part of it pretty much the whole way. I mean, you're, you're a gigantic part of this, this entire family's life now, right? Because yeah. you've been able to capture all of these memories. I mean, like my family, we just don't take pictures. I think I have school pictures from like sixth grade and then you aren't going to find any pictures of me unless they're like on a friend's camera phone, yeah. like sophomore year of high school. And then that's about it. Like there are just no pictures of me and like you being able to be there and capture those moments and the behind the scenes, I think is so, so interesting. And with that, what, um, like, what's that process like? Like, what is it like watching someone's life? Like, you you know, you're you're there to, to capture content. You're there to capture the videos and the pictures of this person's life. But understanding how each little aspect will fit into a documentary, how each little aspect will, like, capturing, you know, as we were talking about before, like, with The Last Dance, it's, you know, we're looking back and now Michael Jordan has, you know, complete editorial control. So he can kind of make that story the way he wants and make himself look like the best, which, you know, he was, but in a really great light when in reality there's a couple shaky things there. What was it like kind of seeing it unfold and capturing that, those pictures and those videos in front of your eyes and as it's coming along and, and the, the process and the understanding that goes behind it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's interesting because it was my first, you know, film that I've ever done. Um, so it was a huge learning process for me. I mean, I think I was, I don't remember how old I was when I started it, but you know, mid to late, mid twenties probably. I mean, so I was still growing up at the same time while, while I'm shooting all this. Um, and I, you know, I felt, um, you know, really like just his friend that was documenting this. Um, mm-hmm. 
So, you know, I don't, there were certain things in my head. I mean, one thing that was really interesting is, and I don't know if you know much about um, organ transplants, but, but basically what they do is they lower the recipient, the person that's getting the organ, they lower their immune system down because they don't want the body to reject the kidney. Because to the body, even though it's the same organ, it's not the organ that they, it's not their organ. So mm-hmm. even if you have all the, the types and blood type and everything matching, it's still a foreign body that, that's coming into them. Um, so you'll see this regimen of, of, of pills that, that he has to take and every transplant patient has to take, um, basically to, to keep their immune system down. Um, so it's, um, sorry, I got sidetracked. Send me the question again. <laughs> uh, so, so <laughs> what, what's it thought. like, I guess, like capturing like a documentary in front of your eyes and oh, like, right. yeah, yeah. like filming yeah. while it's going on, essentially not yeah, looking yeah, yeah. back and talking about it. Like, right. Hey, this is yeah. all happening. And this will now then be in the video. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I guess that's what I was leading to with just, you know, having to be my friend. I mean, I was just kind of living experience with them. I didn't want to, you know, interfere with what was going on. I wanted to kind of fit in. Um, you know, I mean, I had, uh, you know, at the baseball locker room, so, you know, guys were giving each other shit all the time and, you know, and they would do that to me. And then I would do it back to them. I remember, remember like coming back, I was there for like a week or two in, in one spring training and I got home and my wife said something and I like had a like quick response back. And she's like, excuse me. I was like, Oh wait, sorry. I need to reintegrate myself to be, <laughs> to not being in a locker room. Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't know if I. I mean, I, I definitely remember shooting certain scenes and saying, "Okay, this is this mm-hmm. is going to be in the film. Like, this is you know really important." And, and really, I think you know, um, it was Eric um, Eric Davis who played with the Reds. He was talking. He was doing a speech to to the to Carson and his teammates. And, you know, I remember him saying, like, look, this is what they're looking for. This is how you make it up to the next level. You know, all those guys were, were you know, a little bit younger than me. So I'm kind of like, I really hope they're, like, understand that, like, he's literally giving you the answers to the test. And if you can follow that, you know, that's how you mm-hmm. kind of get your leg up. Um, you know, and Carson got along really well with everybody. Um, so I think that kind of helped him also, you know, fit in while also me kind of videoing this because i think that was a concern too that you know he didn't want to seem like this like hollywood guy um you know and i think it would have been a different experience if, if there was a crew there um just because there's more people and it's not as intimate um you know i mean they you know they just treated me like i was part of the team um i also got to i got to do batting practice one day which was a lot of fun that's pretty um sweet. yeah um highly recommended if you can do it um you know but really the first the first pitch that the coach threw was like in my head. I mean, it's throwing it soft, so I, I could get out of the way. Um, so I pretended to charge the mound, you know, obviously. And then um, the first couple of pitches after that, I was just trying to make contact because, like, the worst thing you can do, you can do is is not make contact with the yeah. ball. Um, Especially batting practice, not like the yeah. that hard either. Well, and and like you know, their team's out. Everybody's kind of around the batting cage, and then the up the opposing team. Uh, there's a guy named Joe Savory that played at Rice, um, and I, you know, I knew him, and he was in the outfield watching too. Um, so then finally, after I made contact with a couple of pitches, I like really like turned into one and hit it in the outfield and it kind of didn't scatter the, the other team in the outfield, but it kind of, you know, they had, they're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and the coach was like, all right, that's it. That's good. I'm like, I'm like, oh man, come on, give me like one or two more. Come on, let, really let me try. And, you know, you get over the initial fear of just like trying to make contact and it's like, then you want to try and hit one out. So, mm-hmm. you that's know, funny. that's awesome, man. And I think it's just, again, it's such a great story, but as you said, like, after he got released, you're kind of like almost sitting on that content, right? Like you just sit, like you do, like at that point, there is no end to the story. So what is it like, I guess, waiting 
multiple years having this idea having this film and then almost having it you know putting all this time energy and effort into it and kind of having it like taken away from you for lack of a better term because there's really as you said there's no end now right he never made it to the mlb so you like that can't be the end of the story so like, like how do you like as a creator just be like all right well i guess all of this everything i've done i'm just gonna have to wait and see what happens later on in his life to be able to finish this i mean that has to be just very frustrating. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, he didn't, he, he waited probably a week to tell me that he got released, mm-hmm. which was a little, you know, I would have liked to know right away, but I mean, I understand, like, I'm sure he was yeah. going emotionally through a lot of yeah. stuff. Um, so, um, you know, and, and when he came home from spring training, so he got, um, he got released right, like at the last week of spring training, which is the worst time because all the other teams have, had their teams filled out. Um, and, and the Reds had had some transition with, with at the general manager position. And I think, you know, one of the biggest reasons guys don't make it to the major leagues is because of stuff like that. I mean, something similar happened to, to Carson's dad where, you know, he, he signed with one GM and they had an agreement. He would, you know, play one year, I think, and I could be misremembering this a little bit, play one year. And then, you know, they basically, he would either go to the majors or he would stop playing. And, you know, he had already had a, he'd already had a job, um, a good job. And he like heard on the radio that he got drafted and that's how he, you know, kind of was able to negotiate this deal, but then that GM changed. So then that, you know, that deal kind of goes away. Um, you know, so I had gone, I'd driven home with him at the end of the season, the previous season. Um, so I was shooting him like packing up his bag and, you know, and leaving the locker room and he was the last one in there. So, so I kind of had that footage, um, which ended up becoming very important because, you know, in the context of the film, and this goes back to kind of like, you know, what can you do that, you know, is still truthful to the story, but obviously when he's packing up, you know, the locker room, that's not, you know, that wasn't actually when he got released. It was just the end of the season. Um, but, you know, I think you get a little more leeway, you know, when you're doing a film. Um, yeah. So I had that. So that was key. Um, and, you know, I think it, it was, it was fr- a little, it wasn't even frustrating. It was just kind of like, okay, this happened. I don't know what's going to happen with, with the footage. Like, I'm not sure where we go from here. Um, but I was also, we had moved, me and my wife had moved to New York. And so, you know, we were going through life in, in New York. So it wasn't, um, you know, it's just kind of what needed to happen. And I, I guess in the back of my mind, I was probably like, okay, you know, you shouldn't do anything with the film until you, you have it in ending. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of, you know, one of those things that worked out really well. I would say the the harder part is once we had the film done um, and I went through like three different editors. I mean, one was only on board for a week because that was just the time frame. You know, it's like you try and rush and you get into, you know, try and submit it to Sundance Film Festival because you think if you you make it in there, then it's going to change your life. But there's like a point, you know, it's like it's almost like winning the lottery. Um, mm-hmm. It's really difficult. Um, you know, so we tried to just throw something together in a week and obviously it didn't get in. Um but then, you know, I finally got an editor who, who was great. Just one of my you know closest friends in New York. Um, and really, like, I had to learn the process of creating a film, you know, after you shot it. I mean, a lot of documentaries are looking back in the past at stuff. Um, so, I mean, mine's unusual because, you know, I was living it with him. So the viewer really gets to experience, you know, what it's like to go through a surgery. I mean, I have footage from inside the surgery when he was getting his, his dad's kidney. Um, you know, the family life after that, um, you know being in a baseball locker room, you know, and like, what's that, what it's like to go through the minor league experience, which has been interesting as I 
you know, I had this experience with him. And, you know, there's been even recently, like, you know, they're like shutting down the minor leagues for right now and with COVID and, um, you know, the minor league players were never paid a lot of money, which people didn't really realize. Like the, the guys that, you know, were drafted in the top three rounds got a huge signing bonus. But the other guys, you know, like Carson, I mean, he didn't get a huge signing bonus. He got a little bit of money they could put away. And then, you know, you know, not really a livable um, salary, salary while he was playing. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, I mean, I had responsibility to really get the film out, you know, for Oregon Don't Awareness, but it's like, you know, I didn't have any connections in, in Hollywood or in the film world. So it's like, how do you, how do you have this really powerful story that you want to get out there? You know, and that, that was the biggest challenge. Um, you know, and I felt like I felt bad because like they had given me all this time with their family and I'm mm-hmm. sure I know they've been frustrated at times too, because it hasn't gone to where it needed to be. So that, you know, it was trying to figure that out and say, okay, you know, take a step back and say, okay, what are the hurdles? Because really from the history of this, like if you can get into a film festival, you know, that's the launching pad. Um, and what are the hurdles from this film and how do you get around them? Um, you know, I've always been a super creative thinker. Um, and, you know, I was just kind of like, it just dawned on me. I was like, wait, there's not a sport, big major sports film festival in the U S for independent films. And I thought about it for a couple of weeks and I was like, okay, why not start one? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the idea kind of progressed from there. And then, you know, we're probably like a year and a half, two years later. And now we're kind of like, everything's in motion. We've got, you know, we've got dates. Um, there's Houston is hosting the world transplant games in June of 2021. Wow. So, um, so that, that kind of, you know, I'm nice from Houston. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm from Houston, you know, I, I think it, it's going to be a, a great event in Houston. We stand out event. Um, it would work in New York or LA, but I think it would not have been, um, it's stand out of, it's big of an event in the cities that, you know, and they have film and TV film premieres all the time. Um, you know, and Houston's kind of right in the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. So I was yep. like, okay, this is perfect. Like this is when we're going to do it. We can launch in conjunction with the games that participants that are coming in for the transplant games can come and get, you know, we can get free tickets or get a sponsor to, to give them tickets. Um, you know, and then COVID hits and they canceled the transplant games like a month ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so we're throwing a big hurdle, but they'll still do some sort of virtual aspects. So I'm waiting to find out details on that. We can support that and we can do a virtual, virtual screening for the, um, for my film, for the people that were supposed to participate in the transplant games. Um, we're in conversations to try and lock down a drive, drive-in venue, which has okay. kind of had a rise in popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that's great. I mean, one, because we know even if COVID comes back with a second wave, it's not going to affect it because people can be safe in their cars and mm-hmm. especially for transplant patients and their families. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's to be something, right. yeah. So there's be something that they can come do in a safe way. And we'll, we'll look for more traditional venues as well. Um, you know, but it's kind of been hurdle after hurdle and, you know, so it's, you know, we're trying to, you know, navigate those and, and keep it going. And, you know, um, I would imagine, or not imagine. I've always wanted to have some sort of virtual aspect, especially just just for the simple reason of high school and college students mm-hmm. where they can be involved, they can interact, they're not going to be able to fly across the country. Um, you know, so from an educational perspective, because at the core of film festivals are educational tools, um, that was always really important to me. Um, so it'll probably be, you know, part in person, part virtual, um, you know, and it, it's really probably not going to be up to me to, to make that decision. It's really going to be what everybody else had to do and you know and, and what the government say say is okay yeah. um so it's not i don't feel stressed about that because you know it's going to be what it is 
Yeah, there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, they tell you what you can do, and hopefully you're able to then execute upon it. And, you know, as, as you said, this is the, the Houston International Sports Film Festival. It is uh, you're, you're on the board or you have some capabilities, concern. You're doing something with it, as it sounds yeah. like, either creating it, putting it together. What is it like? I mean, so how, how excited are you for your project to be there? It would have been perfect with the transplant games. I mean, it's still in Houston, still in Texas. Yeah, we'll still, yeah. But at the same time, I mean, like, what is it like going out to other independent film sports filmmakers and saying, like, hey, like, I'm putting this thing together. How excited have you gotten this community and, and gotten people to be like, OK, this is a place where now we can we can all put this together. And as you said, it's in the middle of the country. So people need to go. And, you know, it's not quite Sundance, but hey, maybe one year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it doesn't need to. You know, I mean, look, it doesn't really it can be the, the Sundance sports potentially. But, you know, I mean, I think, I like there you, go. you know, we're just kind of. um you know, it's, it's been exciting. I mean, I think the, the biggest difference too, from, from doing sports photography is it's such a small market. Um, and it's so competitive that, you know, and, and the reward payoff, even if you get to the top, I mean, at this point is not, you know, there's just not that much money there in terms of making it a career. Um, you know, if, it, if everybody was still shooting film, it would have been a completely different ball game. Um, but because everybody's shooting digital, it's just not like that. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, not, it's allowed me to, you know, really want to help other people and come up with, you know, different film, film ideas that, you know, potentially like I, I, there, I have a, one or two that I want to want to direct or at the very least produce. Um, but I would love to find a film, you know, that's on stuff in the general area of Texas. So um, the Cajun Navy, have you heard of them? No. Um, so they're based out of Louisiana. Um they've saved numerous, I mean, probably hundreds and thousands of lives um, when they've had major floods and specifically they've helped Houston. Um, so what they'll, you know, from what I understand that from what they'll do is they'll, they'll put their, um, you know, swamp boat or airboat, you know, on a trailer hitch, they'll drive to a high point where a storm major hurricane is supposed to hit and they'll wait for it to hit and pass. And then they'll go rescue people in their boats. Um, you know, which is amazing. I mean, in Houston, uh, you know, they've saved, so many lives. So I'd love to have a film on them, you know, it, mm -hmm. but I don't need to do the film, right? Like, like this is an opportunity to, you know, for people like me that had a really good story that revolved around sports to really give them a platform to launch their film. And especially if it's a social justice cause or issue that, you know, that's even better. Um, but it's really a way to kind of help other people get off the ground and, and get noticed. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm founding it from the ground up and we're putting together an advisory board and, um, you know, I, I brought on a, a small team of people, um, that's been really good. And, you know, there's areas, you know, I think the area that I'm two of the areas that I have the best knowledge of this is like, you know, I came from a filmmaker that had no contacts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know that I know what it's like to have this project that's your baby and that, you know, you know, you, you just, you need a way to get it out there. And, you know, you know, if somebody says no, it, it just, you know, tears you apart. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's a huge responsibility to give people like me, um, you know, give other people the chance to get their film out there. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I'm also really creative. So coming up with creative ideas, you know, like even just the drive-in for transplant patients, like, mm -hmm. yep. you know, having a drive-in setting isn't what you think of a traditional film festival, but like, but it, it gives a way to get these people there. Um, you know, and there's some other... To be honest, I don't think we're going to have too many traditional things moving forward after this, you know, worldwide pandemic that we're going through and, and, you know, some of the things that come about it. So I, 
I don't think traditional is a word you have to worry too. I don't think people are going to get too angry about it moving forward. But I just think, I think it's such a cool idea and the opportunities that you're bringing others, obviously bringing yourself. I mean, you're getting, as you said, this is, now you have two babies and your one baby is going to help your other baby, which I think is really important too. So like really, you know, brothers, uh, you know, siblings really, really helping each other out. One bringing the other one up the ladder. And I guess, I mean, I got to ask, man, being, you know, being from Texas, right? You're from Texas? Yeah. I, I have to ask, when are oof, when are we going to see the uh, the Astros documentary? I got I I had to ask, right? Like when when <laughs> no, are we going to do fine. that? Yeah, I think fair. that's a, that's a good story, man. It's a pretty good story. You might yeah. I mean, well, you know, LeBron's are you know LeBron's doing one for Quibi, yeah. I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's hopefully, interesting because hopefully I, not with Quibi though. Hopefully, like a real platform that people actually watch. I think that's I would prefer that. Put it on YouTube. More people can watch it that way. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not going to tell LeBron what to do. He, he's pretty <laughs> smart. He can figure it out. Very good um, point. Very good point. Um, but, uh, Space Jam, LeBron's got that. Yeah. Team. Well, this, yeah, I mean, and, you know, and that's potentially something that we would like to, you know, I mean, ideally we would have at least one, you know, major blockbuster film. Mm-hmm. But you're this in the festival and they're supposed to launch it, I think, in, in late June or early July of 2021. So we're hoping mm-hmm. to kind of have that. Um, you know, but going back to that, I mean, I think that, you know, it's, um, personally i think people have blown it a little bit out of proportion um you know it'll be interesting with stuff going on with the, with the yankees and that um I, don't, I can't remember if it was a call or email you know not being released yeah um, we'll see if that I'm comes out and so i'm very excited i mean when when all this stuff started happening and you know i i listened to sports talk radio or at least i used to when i was in my car and would drive places yeah yeah, and Yankees fans are insufferable. Um, just talking yeah. about how how it's like, oh, this was our World Series. It's like first off, you would have had to beat the Dodgers, who were pretty damn good that year. So let's yeah. start there. Um, but no, I mean they they I understand you're a fan, but it's not a good look. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see that letter come out. Uh, because yeah, everybody doesn't yeah. want it to come out for the Yankees. So I'm just curious how widespread I guess it really does go across baseball. Because if we find out all the teams have been doing it, it's kind of like the steroid era. You know, if everyone right. did it, yeah, whatever. Everybody should have been doing it anyway, I guess. So. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And, you know, to go back to the question, like, you know, I don't to directly to the film festival I'm creating it in Houston. I honestly don't think it makes sense to show the film in Houston no. because nobody's going to want to come see it. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it was when, more of a I'll, joke, to be honest. I was yeah, yeah, no, totally. I just yeah, to make sure. You have to think about like, look, it's something yeah. I had to think about. I mean, you know, Alex Bregman's agent is part of LeBron's company and he, you know, not anymore. Like really. had a severed time, you know, and, and which is, you know, everybody has a different belief, and that's, you know, and completely understand from his perspective, mm-hmm. um, because it's, you know, people are basically, you know, saying that he, you know, so totally understand that, and, and you know, it's look, it's just something that I had to had to think about as well, and you know, it didn't really take me that long to think about it and say, well, I mean, you know, what we need is people to come to the film festival, and if you show a film about, you know, a scandal about a Houston team you know nobody's gonna want to come see that so i think you know hey everybody should do films to tell different stories and um you know they can you know they should show it where they you know where they think it's appropriate to show it when you bring the film festival to new new york i think that's when you can uh you'll get a lot of people to come uh that that's an easy one i'll I'll just give you that marketing idea for free take it run with it Create that documentary, and in 2022, when you have it in New York, oh, the Yankees, yeah, yeah, yeah the, then, <laughs> then I think you're going to be just fine. You're going to get a lot yeah. of people. But Josh, this was awesome. Um, so I have a lot of the links for all of your information, so that'll okay, all cool. be in the show notes, so everyone will be able to go check all that stuff out, which I think is great. I think you have a teaser of the uh, documentary up on your website, right? Or is it the yeah? Full there's thing? a yeah. There's a trailer. No, no. There's okay, a trailer um, up there, um, and obviously the the website for the festival is hisff.org, and you know we're also. You know, we're looking for sponsorships. We're also taking uh, 
personal donations, um, tax deductible donations. I guess the, the only other thing I want to touch on, yeah. too, is, um, you know, with, with everything that's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, George Floyd being from Houston, um, you know, over the past couple of weeks, we've had to, you know, I've kind of had to take a look and, and say, you know, what's the festival's responsibility mm-hmm. um, to talk about this and, and continue the conversation. Um, you know, and what we've decided to do is we're going to have a track of programming on athlete activists from a historical perspective. Um, you know, which is would be really interesting and really powerful. Um, I mean, like I said before, earlier before we got on this, like athletes have, have always pushed the boundaries um, for inclusion, um, especially racial inclusion and breaking those barriers. Um, you know, so I we have reaching out to George Foreman. So I'm hoping to get um, him on board um, because not only you know is he one of the biggest sports figures in Houston, but he's got he's got a youth a youth center that, that helps you, you know, that helps kids out. Um, you know, one of the things we're going to have is sports activities for kids to, to kind of get outside and be active again. Um, you know, assuming we can do stuff in person, um, you know, and then we're going to also, um, do a college student film competition. Um, I had a phone call yesterday with somebody, um, a guy named Darius Thomas that does, um, creative stuff at the university of Texas in the athletic department. And what they did for black history month was they took, they did two short films, on the first black athletes for a particular sport. Um, and so, you know, I'm going to turn that into a competition at the festival. Um, and then hopefully the goal would be to, um, you know, have all these schools, especially in Texas, um, but we could, you know, extend it throughout the country too and put together a mentorship board of, you know, some well-known filmmakers and, and athletes that can kind of mentor them and kind of help them tell these stories. Um, you know, I think it'll be really powerful. I mean, I, I you know, University of Texas is, is pushing for a change for the eyes of Texas. The football players are. Um, uh, Clemson, you know, his players have stood up. I mean, pa- athletes are never more powerful yep. um, to stand up for what they believe in and, and get their message across and have people actually listen. Um, you know, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with, you know, with NBA and some of the sports where, you know, some people say, hey, we shouldn't play because we should just focus on the activism. And the other side is, well, we can play and focus on the activism and by playing, it gives us, you know, mm-hmm. more yeah. of a, a voice on a, a nightly, nightly platform. So it's, you know, I mean, the festival will, will definitely have, um, you know, we definitely want to sh- support racial equality. Um, you know, and I think that's something that is, you know, what I can do with a festival and the power that we can bring to other people to tell their stories, but also make a positive change in the mm-hmm. community in Houston and the world is, you know, something that I take very seriously. Um, you know, and that's one of the, most exciting things about this is what we can do with, with other people's stories. That's awesome, man. I appreciate you putting that last part in. I apologize for not bringing that up, but you're, you're no, no, no right. athletes, athletes have the biggest platforms. Uh, there's some of the most famous people on planet earth and you're right. They do drive a lot of change. They drive a lot of force. So I think, uh, that's a great thing. Yeah. What we just saw with, um, uh, Oklahoma state don't really need to bring it up. You can quickly Google it. It's not too difficult to find, but there's definitely a lot of things going on. So Josh really, really appreciate it. Josh Merwin sports photographer, filmmaker, all-around great dude, founder of the Houston International Sports Film Festival. Can't wait. Good stuff, Josh. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it.